This is Coda Radio, episode 81, for December 23rd, 2013. You're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week for 81 weeks is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. We saw wishing you a Merry Christmas! Damn it, no! No! I thought I'd buried you. We went out to the tundras of Canada, (laughs) and I dropped you off so that way you could work on that thing I needed you to work on, and then I drove away as fast as possible, and that was last night, so I don't know how you made it back to the mic in time, Jar Jar, but... You still use my tongue to tie to Santa's sleigh? (laughs) How you doing there, Chris? I thought Jar Jar should make a a quick holiday appearance. You know what? It's a Jar Jar Christmas around here. I'll tell you that. In my house, it is a Jar Jar Christmas, I'm afraid. (laughs) This is, uh, normally we do quarter radio so early in the morning that I don't get to uh, enjoy myself a nice tasty adult beverage, but today... I have a drinking problem, so I drink at 7 a.m. I don't know how this is possible, but I had a couple of drinks, just a couple of quick sips before we started the show, and it's already hitting me. I feel like I'm no. I'm already got like the flushed face thing going, and yeah. my tongue just got a little tired. <laughs> Before we started, I made a gin and con- tonic. I'm already a quarter of the way through it, <laughs> so I may need to take a refill break. Well, I'm looking for. Well, that's good. So here's what we got. We have a we have assembled a panel of internet experts, and they're all waiting behind the gate in our mumble room right now. We're going to do an open mic episode uh, as we approach the holidays. It's always kind of fun to. Just come up with a few extra things to do and uh, interact with the community. So that's what we're going to do on this week's episode. Now, never fret. Don't never fear. Boy, whatever. Uh, Whatever it is. I don't know. Words. Uh, We're going to do a regular uh, good old feedback segment, too, because some of you have written in with some really good stuff. And it was hard because I had to sit on it last week. And I knew like they'd be like, oh, they didn't read my email. Oh, those jerks. And they probably swore at us and swore they'd never listen to the show again. And then if they just would have tuned to this episode, they'd know I was just being sneaky and holding on to it. Merry Christmas, Egon. <laughs> I wonder how Egon's doing. All right. Well, uh, Matt with the single T writes in. He says, uh, hey, guys, I'm looking at writing a little indie game, uh, 2D, because I figured that's relevant to why I'm not using Unity. I'm mostly doing it as a programming exercise that would actually be fun. What a concept. Well, you know what? We should promote doing that more often on this show is just writing some code for damn fun he said yeah. i've written before a few times about python golang etc recently i've been playing around with c and c plus plus and i really like c i can't say i'm a fan of c plus plus it's a poor decision to write a game is it a poor decision to write a game in c and not c plus plus haters gonna hate tell me what you think i'm going to help you Ooh. let's say you had c and you liked object-oriented development but you wanted it to be reasonable and not a pile of dog shit. So we're starting from C. We want objects. Mm-hmm. We want C to be more objective. Yeah, buddy. What? Perhaps what? what, what, what? Where, where is this going? <laughs> objective C. Wow. You are really? <laughs> wow, man. You should just go give Scott Forstall a big man hug and just call it good. I tell you what. I, I, I'm down with next. I am very much down with next. What about GNU Step? You like GNU Step? Because I hear that's uh, coming back. It's making a return. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm I'm the number one person to install it in the last five years. Yeah, boy, oh boy. It, it's me and uh, other uh, disaffected Mac developers. Yeah. It's funny. You really are on the Objective C kick, which it, um, I know. Love. It is, it is my language of choice. Why but. is that? Well, I don't want to get into a whole religious thing. Why here, not? But it, it, Why not? <laughs> Do it. I, I mean, you say it all the time, and I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, okay. So it, it's not anything in Objective-C. It's just there's things I don't like about other languages, right? It's uh, basically – I like the it's, – it's, it's a simple language. It's a very small language, and it doesn't try to be clever. In fact, Objective-C is like programming on training wheels – but not the same way that programming in real basic is in the way that there's only so much you can do, right? There's only so many things. Now when you add in cocoa and UI kit and app kit, that's different, but I'm talking about the language itself. It's simple. 
Like, there's not four different types of arrays. It's an array or a mutable array. And the difference is, one's mutable. And right? so because you have, this may be not the right way to put it, but because you have a more limited set of options, the options you do have available to you, you're able to fully sort of Fully just, use. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. E- even, even to this day, I can sometimes be tripped up in Java because I'm like, wait, what type of list do I want to use here? We use this in an array. I think there's an analogy here between UIs in a sense. Like you, you look at the KDE UI where there's 30 different ways to set your background and GNOME, there's one single way. Mm-hmm. And I learned that one single way with muscle memory at a certain point. It becomes... But, so the difference is Objective-C, really, it's, it's not even about simplicity. It's, it's like... Uh, you know, uh, what was the the Duplo, the Legos for little kids? It's that, right? The pieces are all very simple. There's nothing clever going on in any of the core Objective-C classes. So you can see why people kind of snicker when you say that, because they're like, well, that's like a toy language. Well, but it's not, right? I mean, it, it's a native, it, it, it compiles in GCC, LVM, it's very fast, very powerful. In fact, one of the reasons people snicker at it, it's not because it's a toy, it's because it doesn't have some of those more complicated features that right. they would like. Well, that's what I mean. That's what they would consider making it a toy, is it doesn't like, have... For instance, my criticism of the way Java handles lists and the way C-sharp and most, quote, modern languages do it is because I don't care, right? I don't want to know. I don't want to have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I just want to know that if I'm an asshole and I'm writing inner loops, that I'm going to get screwed. And that's mm-hmm. what Objective-C does. Whereas Java tries to say, well, if you use this kind, it'll do this sort of sort for you, and it'll be better. And oh, but you have to know all of this stuff, and uh, you know we're changing it in the next version of Java. So mm-hmm. good luck with that. Objective C doesn't care. In fact, Objective C questions you. But why do you need to do that? Right. See, I think what people look at it. Okay, so you have its limited. You have its limited scope. You have its. It, it, some might call it simplicity, and then you have the fact that it's really exclusively a Mac and iOS platform language. It was. It is not by the language. It is not right. Right, but by 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 practical implementation, it is. Well, that's not true. You can write a Objective C console application right now and run it on Linux. Sure, easily. you could, but nobody is. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like I know one person. Okay, <laughs> okay. You might, I might be wrong. Me. Actually, it could be happening more than I realize. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just. I. If it seems like if it's so great, why haven't we seen a wider adoption? Well, I, I think. So here's the thing. I'm sure we'll get this in a moment. The things I like about it are things people don't like about it, right? Uh, so I'm saying what I'm basically saying is I don't want to pilot a 757 because I'm going to get confused. I want to pilot something where I have to manually shift the gears, but I know how it works, right? Um, a better analogy might be that it's old, and that makes it nice and refined, and it doesn't have all the baggage of C++ trying to be eight different things to eight different people. Uh, more importantly, for this guy's question, it's a pure superset of C, where C++ isn't really, right? So it's like your BSD, in a way. It's like this, you understand it, it's established, It's it's. Uh, there's a lot of people who worked with it for a long time. You know, yeah, and, and you know what, I, especially with the list thing that I don't like in the other languages, there are valid reasons that those decisions were made in Java and C Sharp. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a personal tasting. It's just like... We had in the early episodes people writing in about how much they hated dynamic typing or static typing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Honestly, it's going to come down to taste. At some point, I don't know where I got this way, but I decided that I rathered a toolkit that was smaller, simpler, but more flexible. I think your stand's falling down on you again. My stand is actually written in C Sharp. So, <clears throat> do you feel a little, uh, a little internet shame for your Objective C love? No, but I feel weird when I talk to like Mac and iOS developers who the first thing they want to do is bitch about Objective C. Oh, really? And you're like, baby, you it's don't like, know, you don't well, know how good you got it. Well, it's like you make your living on this, right? Yeah. And some of the things that used to be hard in it, memory management, things like that, have been resolved. Isn't it interesting how Apple kind of latches on to certain things, um, web objects, HFS plus, Objective C. Okay, so to be fair, web objects and HFS plus not good ideas. Right. Okay, but see, but I don't know. I mean, maybe you're the guy that thinks HFS is a good idea right now. That might be you. No, I'm. So the argument for HFS plus is is a is a pure uh, business one of that. It's not something you can put on the box and somewhere max. Right. Why the hell would you invest? Well, in and it? they have a little bit of the canonical problem where HFS isn't a very sexy problem. And they want to focus on their mobile. Right. I, but but getting back to the language, mm-hmm. Objective C. 
despite the popular hatred for it, is one of the reasons scrolling on iOS is traditionally better than scrolling on Android. What, really? I thought that was more about how the camera renders the canvas. Well, it's native. It's, it's oh, native oh, I see what you're saying. Just the right. code is right. There's, executed faster. You know, you're writing your app in Objective-C. You can get away with a lot of crap that you shouldn't get away with in yeah. Java. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I criticize people for their four loops of doom, but you have a little more of a free hand to do that. Yeah. They probably shouldn't. Uh, Well, it would seem like um, uh, the market is proving you right. The market is proving me wrong in a way. So people have taken Objective-C and they've written libraries to turn it into Java. Right. right? Or or like you have like these whole suites that uh, people use to just avoid writing an Objective-C and then they generate Objective-C code. (laughs) The one thing that I'm writing right now is a networking kit that's very simple. That's just going to sit on top of an NFC URL connection, right? The reason for that is that I used to use an old networking kit called ASI HTTP that's no longer supported, and okay. it's been almost three and a half years now. So Yeah. Um, Got to move on. But a lot of folks in the space are using other kits. Like Facebook's 320 mm-hmm. basically turns the simple light language of Objective-C into a crappy enterprise language because it's just so big and so complicated if you use their framework, right? Because everything in the kitchen sink Java style. Uh, again, and that's a philosophical difference, right? I mean, I, I definitely hear from people moving over to Objective-C or doing it for a project, why the hell isn't this included, right? Right. And my answer is always, well, because you shouldn't do that, right? Just, you know, why do you want to do that? Or, well, I mean, I wrote this library. It's, you know, just a simple category on a class and it works, you know. It's a very different mindset, uh, certainly, the way Objective C handles subclassing, a uh, little different to folks in the Java space, uh, particularly when it comes to you know Objective C has the concept of categories, where you're actually adding functionality to an existing class mm. rather than subclassing. Mm-hmm. That is sometimes mind bending for a lot of Java gun.net guys. Mm. You know, I, I think I started off saying it's better, and I'm half trolling, but I I, I do believe that it is compared to a lot of languages better conceived. Um, it's almost, said, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like because it is of the age that it is, right. Um, it's had to withstand evolution in a sense. It's had to withstand a lot of competitors. It's had to stack up to a lot of options and it still remains standing. Well, the thing about objective C is objective C is old, like you were saying, but it's yeah. also, you know, one of the things I critis- I don't like about some of the newer languages, the Rubies and Pythons of the world, is that they seem to be optimized to minimize typing. Mm. As though typing was the limiting factor. Right, yeah, that design. is always so weird, isn't right. it? Objective-C is very, very verbose. But I find that very helpful, because when I come back 18 months later and look at something, I know exactly what it does. Ah, that's a great point. There is a lot to be said to that. And, you know, it's interesting how that has come up in different forms throughout the last 81 episodes. Hey, we're getting towards the end of 2013. It's kind of good to look back. I mean, we've talked a lot about this uh, in Java Play. We've talked a lot about this with uh, Azure. We've talked a lot about where sometimes when there's a little bit of magic in there, that magic can bite you in the ass when you come back to something a while down the road or you have to step outside that box. And and there's magic. I mean, once you start importing Cocoa, you know, there are things that can punch you in the throat. Okay. For sure. Yeah. But the language itself is very, very simple. I, I can, you know what? Actually, I'm really glad that you you answered that because that actually gives me insight that I, I've I've never really had on that topic. And I've, I, I mean, I know just from the show that you, you're a big fan of it, but I've never really grasped the like kind of behind the scenes reason. But the answer is actual question about his game. He should probably write in C plus plus. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, the, the the only reason is that. I strongly recommend that you look into like an open source game toolkit or game mm. framework, mm. and they're almost all already written in C++. Oh. So you can cross-mingle C++ and Objective-C. Yeah. Unless you're on a Mac, there's no reason to do that. So C++, basically, because he's anytime he's going to go out and grab something, it's going to be written in C++. Right, but I would say be very careful. I mean, okay. if you're using MS C++ or, you know, ANSI C++, you need to watch what you're doing, because... Yeah. There's weird stuff going Mr. on. Mr. Dominic, our next question uh, is is about educating students with uh, – have you heard of this um, Hour of Code initiative? 
Um, so we had a student write in, and actually, mm. we're recording this um, during the holiday break, and so we have um, a few new people in the uh, audience who are watching right now who are normally at school during the Coda Radio Show. So we've got it. We, this, this is a great topic to ask. So I want to get to that, but first. I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense, my mobile service provider, and I love it. I have the Nexus 5 on Ting right now, and the HTC One, and the Evo 4G, and I did have a note too, but I uh, I, I gave that to Matt because he needed to get on Ting because he needed a mobile plan. I love Ting. No contracts, no early termination fees. That's what brought me over there. What keeps me there is only paying for what I use. Let me show you that. So I'm logged in right now. If you're watching the video version, this is my personal dashboard. You can see uh, I'm currently, my billing cycle ends in 17 days and my bill right now for my phone, which I use data, I use it for voice and texting, $31. Think about that. A full-fledged Nexus 5 smartphone, which I bought off contract from Google Play directly, brought it on Ting, I pay $6 flat, and my bill right now, 31 bucks. Who out there has a smartphone plan with 31 bucks? It includes voicemail, caller ID, hotspot, tethering, all of these things, roaming all included with the plan. You only pay for what you use. And you can see while I'm in the Ting dashboard, I talk about it a lot, but what I'm going to show you here is where you can just simply add an alert. So when, and it's kind of like if, then that, so when my account exceeds X, and it could be messages, megabytes, minutes, send an email to... And I could put the email address or a text message or I could notify via the Ting Android app and I'll send a push notification down to my phone. How cool is that? You can also set it just for a certain amount of time. So if you know that, well, I'm going to be recording Coda Radio for a little while. So I don't want voice on any of my phones to ring my devices either until I re-enable it or end of billing period. That is really nice. Think about that. Think about if you've got a phone that you know you're not going to be bringing with you for a while. Go stick it in the drawer. Put it in the drawer. Just put it in the drawer, and you set that option there, and you don't have to worry about paying on something you're not using. It's pretty brilliant. And by the way, if you become a happy Ting customer, Ting has a great reference program. You can refer a friend and get $25 for everyone you refer to Ting, or $50 for your first ever referral. That's pretty cool, right? So even if you refer one person, you get 50 bucks. Ting loves doing this kind of stuff. They just wrapped up the Golden Ticket Initiative. We gave out some golden tickets to some folks in the Jupiter Broadcasting audience. Then we just wrapped up the $300 of Ting service on the faux show. We just gave away $300 of Ting service. They love this because here's why. Ting focuses on the customer relationship and the advantages of being an MVNO. Ting uses the nationwide Sprint network. So if you have good Sprint coverage, you're going to get fantastic Ting service. And they're able to focus on the things like the billing, the dashboard, the all of the back-end services around that, the customer service, when you call in at one 846 4389 a real person answers the phone. That's what they're all about. They're, they're adding serious competition to the big carriers. They're changing up the mobile world. If you've got multiple Android devices, if you need to do testing, Ting is the perfect person for you. If you're a small business, a family, or if you're somebody like me who has massively varying phone usage. Look, you can see my minutes right now are almost nothing. Almost nothing. I, I average 24 minutes. I max 78 minutes because most of the time I'm using Skype or I'm using SIP or something like that. So why pay into a service plan? Why? Why pay into a big service plan that you're not even using? So go over to coderadio.ting.com. That's how you get started. Coderadio.ting.com will take $25 off your first month of service. If you bring a phone, if you don't have a phone, you want to go get one unlocked, you know, just go over there and grab it. You own that phone. You own that phone. So go get started by going to coderadio.ting.com and they'll take $25 off that first phone. So a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Mr. Dominic, are you ready for this? Have you heard of this uh, uh, Hour of Code initiative? I have, yeah. I okay. mean, this is a larger thing. Yeah, it is. And I, we don't have to, we can go in, we can go into it as far as you want or as, or as shallow as you want. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on his question here. He says, uh, Hello, Mike and Chris, uh, the standard obligatory love quota radio and love all the shows. I'm a student in high school. And this past week, my school participated in the code.org Hour of Code challenge. As someone who is able to program with some, read no, uh, success, I was able to help out with others participating in the event. I was somewhat disappointed when most opted to meander about or play with their phones rather than do the tutorials. My question for you is this. Do you really think that coding literacy will be as important in the future as Code.org campaign makes it out to be? I'd like to think of programming in the same way as making a machine. While most people are able to appreciate the craftsmanship and the skill that goes into assembling a bike with your own hands, most probably don't have the desire or initiative to do that. While I believe it will become extremely important in the future, 
uh, to understand the basics of how a computer works, it won't become important to be able to write or read code. What do you think? Uh, Fredo in the IRC. What do you think of this? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think on the whole, this whole everybody should learn to code thing is probably a little overblown, right? Well, uh, can I play something for you? Go for it. This is this is a big source of inspiration. This is this is this is a clip I they're using. Everybody in this country should learn how to program a computer. Should learn a computer language because it teaches you how to think. And so I, I view computer science as a liberal art. It should be something that everybody learn. You know, takes a takes a year in their life. One of the courses they take is, you know, learning how to program. What do you think of that? So this is sort well, of like I, this I is... think in 1996 when he said that uh, <laughs> liberal arts had not yet been gutted to the degree they've currently been. Yeah, 95. And this is someone who holds a liberal art degree. Uh, I would say that it is far more important to get resources back into you know teaching literature, teaching proper history, and by I mean proper history, I mean non-politicized history. Um, teaching, let's say, basic mathematics in public schools, right? Mm-hmm. And I say this as someone who's been interviewing high school graduates and college students, and I have been, you know, if you grew up in, or they actually speak English over there, if you grew up in Italy and couldn't write a sentence in English to me, I'd be okay with that. If you grew up in, uh, oh, I don't know, Piscataway, New Jersey, <laughs> less okay with that, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and frankly, I see this, their heart is in the right place, for sure. But the standards just in written in or verbal communication in any language, right? English, mm-hmm. Spanish, French, whatever languages you want to teach in school have gone down quite a bit. Uh, Jobs is right or was right in terms of critical thinking. But again, and Chris, you may remember this. Part of your English class was also a logic class, right? Where mm-hmm. you had to take articles. I had to do this in high school. Articles from the newspaper written by op-eds by yeah. the editors. yeah. And point out the logical fallacies where they're trying to manipulate the reader. And I went to a poor public school, and this is how we did it, right? Yeah. So, for instance, an ad hominem where we say, well, you know, Chris, uh, Michael drinks a lot, so Michael must be an alcoholic, therefore Michael's point must be wrong. That's a fallacy, right? (laughs) Because even if I was a drunk, it doesn't make me necessarily wrong. That isn't being taught anymore in favor of, oh, well, you know, and this is getting a little political, but why do we need to teach literature from every colony of of the of Great Britain, every former colony, when we are not even teaching basic grammar? But hmm. so yes, I, I think their heart's in the right place. I just think that we need to, you know, it's obviously not a topic that's relevant for the show, but I think the education, particularly in this country, needs a much bigger reform at a much more basic level of yeah. reading, writing, and arithmetic before we get to technical um technical skills this is one of the causes zuckerberg has taken on he's kind of been out there saying essentially what job said in that quote we played he said uh you know that um and i think it goes back to the technical elite believe that the product of the united states of america for the future is almost wholly going to be code of some kind innovation and i think in- they're right but i think the problem is a developer who can't write me an end-of-day email that makes sense isn't worth anything to me right yeah it's all balance it all is part of a balanced diet I don't, I mean, I don't, people used to not learn code in grammar school. They used to learn grammar. Why, why you know, if, if the schools were doing well, and then you said, listen, we wanted to fund this extra project to increase the skills of our so students. I don't see this, I don't see training this as an exclusion to doing those other things. I do. I mean, how, how could funding this, the money has to come from somewhere. If there's all this money laying around for education reform, why aren't we fixing the current problem? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe because it comes, it's not in Zuckerberg's interest. Maybe come, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, and Mark Zuckerberg is a champion of uh, Newark, a, a poor city in my area, um, but he's not a champion of literacy. He's not a champion of arithmetic. What about that logic skill that it teaches you? Isn't that a valuable life skill? Absolutely, but that can be taught through lots of other disciplines. Yeah, like you said, like uh, the current events type class where right. you, yeah, yep, good point. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, well, I, well, we can bring that topic back up with the Mumbroom if they get it's all. A very, it's a very delicate issue here because, you know, Zuckerberg right. in particular comes to Newark and he's, he's donating computers. He's a hero. He's a hero. Oh, he's a hero. He's getting these kids on computers. 
but he doesn't care that they can't even write Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So he's, to me, he's a kind of a, a, a little two-faced, him and his buddy, Corey. You know, I, I think, not to, we'll move on. I'll just make this statement. Yeah. I think these guys, um, they get to a position where they feel like they need to do something, and I think they just kind of get handled, right? They have handlers who arrange these things for them and find causes for them that, well, this sounds like it's in your your uh, your area of interest, so this will be Mark's cause, and we'll get this on the schedule for him. And there's not a ton of deep thought given into it. That's kind of my assumption, but I could be way wrong. You know, it's also not sexy to go on TV and be like, I'm championing grammar. <laughs> right? you, you know, like, the, the question I really wanted to ask you, and I, the reason I'm not asking it, because I feel like it's going to open a huge bag of worms, is... Uh, Maybe everybody isn't meant to be a programmer. Like well, I, me, I, like right. me. I I am not I do not believe the the way my brain is wired is I think I can write bash scripts and that's as far as I've ever taken it. And I find it too GD tedious. I think it is ridiculous. I think it is I, I find it to be the most boring thing I could ever do. And maybe it's because I haven't done the right things, but for me, I do not believe my brain is wired to be a developer, and I don't think everybody's is. I think people have innate talents, and sometimes they're creative talents, sometimes they're engineering-type talents, sometimes whatever it is, right? And you have a set of innate talents that when when pushing the right buttons, you're able to achieve things that I cannot. Now, that doesn't mean I'm dumber than you. It just means that maybe I'm good at certain things, and maybe you're good at other certain things, and that's how we work together as one big cohesive organism. I mean, am I wrong here? You're you're right, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't teach in school, right? Right. I mean, I, mean, I took I see I took uh, basic when I was in school. They right. were teaching basic, and I I really valued that. Even though I'm I I don't love programming, I really value the time I spent learning it, and it gave me some some insights. And then I tried other things, and I that's when I kind of realized. I mean, I bought this Python book thinking I'm going to give it a go again. Maybe now that I'm a little older, I'll like it more. But so one thing I would add though is you know I firmly believe that every student in high school and middle school should you know, study poetry, though almost none of them are going to be poets, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so it's, it, if, we're, if we're going to talk about the vocational usefulness of education, then we need to throw out hundreds of years of Western education. Actually, thousands. You know what we right. should do instead? We should probably read Matthew's email. We should just move on, because this right. is going to get rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is so, going to get nasty. Uh, I, I, I don't know where I fall down on this question, so uh, let's give it a go, and, and uh, we'll see what we think. Matthew writes, and he says, what do you guys think of all of those developers who make interactive resumes where their resume is just like one big site uh, that's hopefully been well-coded? Is that unprofessional? Like, you know, you've seen some of these where you go to a guy's bio page, and you scroll down, and like... His, his resume sort of renders up and it's, you know, very fancy. It's kind of a showy thing. It's it's a humble, it's not even a humble break. It's a brag in a sense. If it's done well, that's a problem, right? It could also be done very badly and you got to have good code. And I think it comes down to targeting your audience. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I've never seen that work. So just one website. Well, let's say like uh, you were going to hire a guy like you've been doing. You've been looking for people right. to talk to, um, which we should mention, uh, uh, by the way, Fingertip Tech also does contract consulting stuff too, right? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So if we have some availability. If you have a mobile or web project, um, or God forbid, Mac OS X project <gasps> that you need some help with, uh, drop us a line. Yeah. And what's probably the best way? At Fingertip Tech on Twitter or email or what? That would be that would be fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know when you're looking to hire guys into that into that gig, that racket you got going on over there at the Fingertip Tech. Uh, if somebody like gave you a resume, but then also said like, "Here, check out my website," and you went there, and it was essentially like a living version of their resume, um, interactive, would that turn you off? Would you call that? Would that be um, trashy to you? I don't know that it would turn me off. I just don't know that I'd care. Um, it would definitely show me a few things about them. Would you rather just get like a link to their GitHub account? Probably. I mean, here's here's the problem. If you're doing a front-end website as your resume, as your front-end website's aesthetic doesn't appeal to the person looking at it, you might have just unnecessarily pushed yourself out of a job. <laughs> True. I think the only time it's going to work really well is like if you're going to some hipster startup or whatever it is. You know, They'll the, like that. Yeah, yeah exactly, they, right? And, and not because they think it's good, because they don't have to read your resume. Yeah, right. They're <laughs> Actually... And then, like, okay, it also could depend on the job. Like, if you were interviewing for a video editor position at Jupiter Broadcasting and you sent me your YouTube account, that would be good for me. I could see your work, right? 
So what we currently do is we ask for the resume, any GitHub profile you may have, or Bitbucket. And we actually have uh, uh, interns and junior folks do uh, a test on the spot. Your Facebook password, those things. Yeah. No, no. We just, we just have them do a coding <laughs> test on the spot. Uh, so over 95% of people have failed this test. You're kidding me. I'm not. That's a little disappointing. And and the test is still FizzBuzz. It hasn't changed. Oh, really? Yeah. It's been I don't know if you noticed, but uh, FizzBuzz for the enterprise was the hot and trending topic on Google+. I saw Plus that. Over the, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. I was almost going to just plus one you in the uh, comment section. Just but I thought, no, it's annoying. But I Actually, someone fun. had sent that to us, and we did talk about oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and then it made it on, well, see, Google Plus is just behind the Coda Radio Show. Well, yeah. oh, go ahead. So I would say if you're a designer, maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, or if you if you knew exactly who your target audience was. But otherwise, it seems like a colossal waste of time. It just seems like, yeah, it just seems like a lot of work for nothing, especially since you're going to have to keep up. You know, if you're a consultant, you're going to constantly need to keep up with the new design trends on the front end. For just a portfolio site, yeah, hmm. I don't. yeah, really, and and like you, you know, they'll be going over every line of code, every line of code. So make sure you get yeah. that right. I well, don't think that's yeah for anymore. Speaking of Facebook, we have a little. Uh, there's an island of salvation for those of you who uh, like to engage in the social aspect of podcasts, but don't really like facebook all that much and i understand um i'm not a big facebook facebook fan myself and so we've had a coda radio audience member who's who's really kind of been going above and beyond it's just so awesome i I love to try to give a little bit of a thank you and so i'll link you guys to something here in just a sec but first i want to thank our second sponsor this week and that is digital ocean digital ocean is simple cloud hosting and man i gotta tell you it is so slick it's 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 simplicity, like Mike was saying earlier, but with such amazing power that you you really are able to get in and get exactly done. Like, here's an example: you can spin up a new cloud server in 55 seconds. Now, not only that, pricing plans start at just five dollars per month, and that'll get you a 512 megabytes of RAM box with a 20 gigabyte SSD. Yes, SSD, and yes. It does make a big difference for cloud hosting. Trust me. Gets you a very fast CPU and one terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. Possibilities there, I'm just saying. The interface has a simple and intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a large scale with their API. And it is a very straightforward API. DigitalOcean offers a vast collection of tutorials as well in their community section, on their website, and even better, Go check the link in our show notes right underneath the DigitalOcean banner because if you submit something to the community that they publish, you'll get paid $50 per published piece. I have got the $5 per month server. And right now I have a test installation of Docker with Zimbra on it. I have BitTorrent Sync, which is so awesome. BitTorrent Sync is is really going to change the game down the road for content distributors like me because it is publishing RSS and CDN in one protocol and it is so cool so what i've done here at my house is i have a BitTorrent sync and i have a uh, fiber connection which is 50 up 50 down pretty good but not amazing so i have a BitTorrent sync uh, running for the unfilter supporters here at my house that has all of the contents that make up an unfilter show every clip every note everything every image we use pdfs uh, videos additional clips that don't make it into the show which for every single episode of unfilter can be a gigabyte or more of content. Then we also distribute the supporter show via BitTorrent Sync. What I have done, it's awesome, is I, I have it here at my house in BitTorrent Sync. I have it sync up to DigitalOcean at the same time. And then when I release it, quote unquote, to the community, they are able to pull down versions simultaneously from both my New York simple, uh, quick deploy DigitalOcean droplet and my system here at my house, which took me hours to set up. And they're able to download that sucker that totally saturates their connection because DigitalOcean, when you combine those SSDs with that super fast internet connection, really rocks the connection. It's so awesome. So use the promo code Coda Radio December and you'll get a $10 credit, which if you get the $5 machine, will get you two months of, uh, of a droplet. You can really just see what it's about. I mean, try something out. See if you like it. I think you'll be pretty impressed. Coda Radio December over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Okay. So uh, are you familiar with Dispora, Mike? No, but I just signed up. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, yes, I did. Well, Mollusk over on uh, Dispora has been keeping uh, a Coda Radio, like, um, I'm probably going to get this wrong. It's not actually a group. It's a, He tags it as hashtag Coda Radio. 
and then you can follow that that hashtag. And this is a community, kind of like the, a little bit like G Plus, but it's a community of Coda Radio Post, where he has to, has a, uh, the show post there and uh, the title and and, uh, and a link. So if you are a Dispora user and you want to have Coda Radio show up in your feed, I'll have a link in the show notes. You can follow that tag. <laughs> Great thing about Dispora, right, is you can host it yourself. So he's hosting over at HomeButter.com. Huh? HomeButter.com. That's a pretty good one. And look. Look at this. There's even a little, uh, he's got, he's got the BitTorrent sync, um, key in here. Wow. He's got the torrent feed in here. He's got the RSS feeds in here, the direct download and a link to the subreddit. How pro is, and a, and a link to the contact form. And yeah, it's pretty good. And a link to the donate page. Wow. I, so I'm just on, so I, I thought this diaspora went away. I, wasn't this the decentralized Facebook? Wasn't this the it whole is. idea? Yes. So like his homebutter.com and if I did like a, HomeMargarine.com would not be the same. Should we go there right now? Right, right. But you, you, but because, but they would all talk to each other. HomeButter.com, a small dysporopod by Mollusk. Hey, I signed up. I, uh, I added him, and I'm trying to figure out how to follow the Coda Radio tag. You know, I would love the faith. I would love to hear from the audience if this is something they're into because I effing hate Facebook, and I use right. it because everybody else is using it, and family's on there, and that's where the audience is. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't particularly like facebook um i would love to replace it so if if despora is something or despora whatever if, if that's something people are using well it's weird because i was using google plus for a time and then it just became too crazy and now i i mean you've even mentioned it to me i've kind of um faded. backed off social yeah. faded yeah i mean I, i've even been on twitter less i've been i've been very eh, about the social thing i'm back on twitter man i'm back on twitter i i i, I like the 140 character limit I also like the fact that it loads faster than both Facebook and Google Plus. Sure. And it's just nice to just pop in, I get my thing, I get out. G Plus, though, for me, one of the nice things is having, I mean, Twitter now has the picture thing, but it, it takes away from your overall post count. Yeah. It, you know I, what I used to like? What? Remember, um, oh, Identica? Oh, yeah, of course. It's yeah, still active. Ch- what do you mean, remember? Really? It's still going. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, my God. I used to chat with all my, my Linux homies from South America on there. You know, this would be a good. This would, let's bring in the mumble room and ask them, guys. Anybody in here uh, on Dispora? Anybody using Dispora? Or, or is it is it like a, a wet dream that is never being realized? I have well, an account. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, like you have an account in Identica too, probably. Uh, no, not right now. Oh, you. I had no, someone somewhere, but the problems Identica had in the beginning, uh, where it was basically their equivalent of the fail whale. Yeah, is actually the reason we started Scale Engine. Identica? Whoa, go into that. Yeah. yeah, go into that, Alan. Well, they had this software, Laconica, and it was all set up. It had, uh, you know, support for memcache, the support for, like, you know, the bit of code that almost every app, web app lacks, where it's like, yeah. oh, this specific query <laughs> can go to a read-only slave because it's it doesn't depend on anything that was updated in the last two seconds. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. And so the latency won't hurt it and things like that. So it has all this stuff to be able to scale, and yet they would have all these problems all the time. Uh, this was back when Joyant wasn't very good yet. Um, it, it would say, you know, like no suitable node available because they were it was all slow VMs and stuff instead of real hard. So we're like, well, I'm sure we can make this scale. And so we wrote this little, we built this thing on this old uh, Google server we had, a dual socket, single core Xeon. And we kind of invented this system we called Scale Engine. <laughs> and, and there it began. And the, the first, the first thing we ran on it was Laconica because it was this app that was designed to scale. And it's like, well, if we can make this scale, how hard would it be to make Vbolt in scale? And <laughs> that's where our first two customers were. And then uh, the Canadian the fortune was made. Yeah, the Canadian and, Empire. And then, then some Finnish person asked us to do video streaming, and that changed everything. Well, thank goodness because uh, I've uh, been able to take advantage of that. So no one, no one on here jumped up to defensive Dispora. That kind of actually yeah, there was there was a different social network. I saw a bunch of posts on Slashdot about recently where they were going to do crypto, like it was going to be right. All your posts are encrypted only to the people on your friends list. Yes, I saw that too. I saw that would be interesting, but right. yeah, the, the problem is what really drives Twitter and Facebook. And you see app developers integrating this into their apps, too, is that advertising feature. I worked a little while on an MMO, and uh, their whole dis- point of discussion wasn't about the technology. In fact, they never, ever really talked about the technology on the back end. What they were talking about was gaming Facebook. So in the MMO, they wanted to integrate, like, 
an achievement would be posted to Facebook. Now they uh, Facebook kind of killed this when they did the they kind of redid the the timeline and they have the the, the feed that's always all the junk. Uh, but right, back then, that, that's what the whole thing they're like interested in. Having their right their feed of posts right. filled with stuff from games. Well, who would? But back then, yeah. uh, I mean, this was a couple of years ago. It was all about discoverability, right? You want yep. the person to tell other. And so, well, for a while, the games uh, played it up even more. It's like, oh, well, you can get a bunch of free stuff if you convince your friend right. to come play the game. Well, diaspora is limited to pod setup. So the only people who see the comment, the content you provide, is the people in your pod, unless you have it public. But then you still have to know where that pod is to get it. And the decentralized part of it is great for privacy issues, but it's horrible for companies. I think probably that's why it's not seeing a lot of use. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you also have to you have to have somebody with a server. Then you have to download the app to make it right. work. And where you can just go to Twitter and log in. There's there's so much more benefit to that that. Most people, unless unless like not necessarily geeks, but people who want to have like a, just a a small private network, it's great for them. But everybody else, not really. Um, so I I wanted to start here uh, as we do the open mic thing. Um, one of the topics that I think would be kind of fun to talk about is uh, your setup. But is anybody in here actively developing software right now, or or has recently been actively developing software in the mumble room? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm writing code right now. I know. I shouldn't actually, be, but I am. Well, you were the one I was thinking of uh, because I'm at I, the office. Because Alan, you know, you've been you've been rewriting certain things, and uh, is this is this a, a new endeavor for you? What do you mean? Well, so I know you've you've been working on the FreeBSD installer, right? Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm actually just working on internal scaling. Oh, okay. So I wanted because one of the topics that I thought we would be interesting to talk about is when you guys are working on this kind of stuff. Is and Mike suggested this in the uh, Coda Radio subreddit is your dev setup like uh, kind of a little bit of uh, your nerd porn. Like, how do you? How do you? What is your setup right now, Alan? Let's start with you. Mine is really sad, actually. <laughs> so, so I have an SVN checkout of the oh. FreeBSD tree actually on my FreeBSD <laughs> file server. And then I'm accessing that over Samba on my Windows machine okay. where I'm using Komodo Edit as my IDE to write the code. That wasn't what <laughs> I was expecting. Why? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's what my desktop is. Like, honestly, I wrote most of the code in Nano uh, on an airplane. What? Airplanes yeah. are great for productivity. Yeah, because there's no disturbances for eight hours. As you're and no internet. Yeah. Malta. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I had to try to have everything I wanted ready. Like, I... I had to have any documentation I might need already downloaded. Because, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. and you know, even even I, when you have Google finding documentation for that. shell script that's not specific to Bash, is kind of difficult. When the shell is called just sh, Google ignores it because the word's too short. Yeah. Oh, did you mean bsh? I thought, <laughs> so, I so thought have mine you, was have bad, you... but Alan wins. Have you purposely engineered this, Alan, so that you never need a connection? Or is that just something that happened and you stuck with that, it? That was just something that happened. Uh, basically, okay. I was okay. like, I'm going to look at the code that's here and copy and paste a bunch of it and see how hard it would be to make an extra option in the installer menu. And then it kind of grew from there. See, that uh, makes but, that makes more but, sense because like, I, I think everybody dreams of like the total disconnected state. But right. when you're actually working, like, let's be honest, you want the fastest freaking internet connection you can get. You want to yeah. have a big screen. Yeah. yeah. Rod- Rogers is digging the trenches for a gigabit to my house. Oh. <laughs> can I move in? You got a room, right? I do. Okay. Although that's where I was going to put the servers. Cause not- <laughs> <laughs> very fair, very fair. Well, anybody else have a, uh, their setup they want to share when they're working on a project? I do. Go ahead. Um, I have this year moved to Vim, and I've created a terminal-based setup of Tmux plus Vim, <laughs> and it is the best I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. Why? Well... I come from Windows. I've been a Windows developer, C Sharp, for years in Visual oh, sorry, Studio. Sorry, Chris. How do, how do I drop someone from the call? <laughs> and, and then I switched to Linux, and uh, I've been doing all kinds of editors like Eclipse and, and, and uh, what's... Uh, NetBeans. Um, <laughs> IntelliJ? No. Right. Sublime Text There you go. There you yeah, go. that one. And I switched to Vim, and at first it has been a pain in the ass. But when you get it all perfected, and it took 
nights and nights of work, but when you get it perfected, it becomes godlike. I understand. So, I understand. Yeah, I understand I, honing in that perfect setup. So, what are you uh, writing? What, I mean, don't you don't break any confidentiality? But what language? What kind of platform are you writing in? Uh, I'm a web dev. I okay. do Rails and Go. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I uh, use uh, Sublime Text three. And it has a. I have a weird plugin that makes a lot of Vim uh, shortcuts. Wait, so did you say have... three? Yeah, yeah, three. He did. Yeah, so you're running like the Git version or what? <laughs> no, three's out. It is. There's a three. Yeah, well, I'm it is. Three. Yeah, three's been out for oh, like maybe, six months. Maybe that's what I've been. using. No, I don't think I. I don't <laughs> yeah. think I've upgraded to Sublime Text three. I think I'm going. They, they don't call it Sublime Text three. They just call it Sublime Text now. They took well, out the the number version, but no, it, it is a third. No, no. If you go to if you go to Sublime Text Sublime Text dot com, it says download version two dot o two. What? But yeah, three is still in three beta. is in beta. Yeah, three is in beta. Yeah. Okay, uh, it must be the Git thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also use like uh, anything with autocomplete is fine. Well, go ahead, Rotten Corpse. Finish your finish yeah, your thought. Oh, I was just saying that I have uh, mine. I have mine set up where that I have a plugin that gives me Vim support, so I have all the shortcuts and things for Vim oh, inside of Sublime. Oh, really? Yeah, it's yeah. called Vintage Mode. Oh but, wait, yeah, you only get like one percent of Vim. Oh. It isn't the real thing. But you so. get all the benefits of Sublime Text plus some, some benefits of Vim. It's very nice. Oh, I'm gonna check that out. What's it called again? Vintage mode. Nice. All right. I tried that once, but I didn't. Uh, I wasn't satisfied yeah. with it. Vim is good. All right. Well, but before before we go on to the next topic, does anybody else want to share their their fit setup? And it could be your it could be your your physical setup. I'm, it could uh, be your software setup. Well, for me, sure. on Windows development machines, I use a <laughs> special editor called EM Edit, like M Editor. But otherwise, BM? I use BM? BM, no, EM. Oh, EM. Editor. Okay, editor. Okay. And Vim, even on my Windows machine as well. But when I can't bring Vim along, I'll use this M editor thing. And it is beautiful. Oh, all right. I'll put a link to both those in the show notes. Actually, let me ask the room this. It, it, it's, I'm kind of surprised that nobody jumped up and said Eclipse or, or oh. any of the more bigger enterprise IDEs. Why? I is that just? Well, I didn't get a chance. <laughs> oh, go ahead, jump in. All right, go ahead, Blaster. We, we use Eclipse here at work. Um, I'm not rocking it yet because I haven't moved over to the Java stuff yet. But because um, we're basically a Java shop. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's coming soon. But for PHP development, I rock Gedit. Nice, nice. <laughs> I've Gedit's great. I'm just, go ahead, Marky. I'm just happy with a text editor on GCC, and I'm fine. Oh wow! We always oh, always one of them. Always one of them, Mike. Always one of them. All right. <laughs> Something else that I think uh, boosts uh, productivity when programming is uh, tiling window managers. Okay. All right. Bit. Uh, explain yourself there. Are you, just because the way you arrange the windows, you think that makes you more productive? Yeah. I mean, I don't have to leave the keyboard like ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe he does tiling. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So well, now, and I, I have to ask this. I'm sorry. Okay. The you've all ended up at Vim, and it's funny because I used to use Vim and have moved away from it because I'm lazy. <laughs> it's just the maintenance of like changing things was getting to me. How did that happen? Right? Did you guys just wake up one day and be like, you know what? Was it? Just configuring heavy oh, items right. was too much work. Was right. it like did you try everything else and eventually like screw it? I'm just or, gonna... let's be let's be honest. Is there a certain nerd cred factor to doing all your coding in a text editor? I started I programming long before these IDEs came out. An answer. <laughs> I, I actually prefer Sublime Text kind of thing because of the, the text editor and they get some uh, project management function as well. And yeah. the main thing is because I don't like. The some of these IDEs are kind of bloated, so I don't really want to run, run those. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, when I started off, I was actually using my netbook to do programming. So imagine trying to open up Eclipse on NetBeans on a netbook. Okay, um, those are all valid answers. The way how I got uh, interested in Vim is I was watching um, a presentation from some Node.js guy. And he was just flying. He was morphing his code so fast. I was thinking to myself. Holy moly, that's oh, incredible. You know, so that's that, why I decided to try it. And it is true. Right now with Vim, I'm like five to ten times faster than I was in all the other true. text editors. But, but it's not about the speed 
uh, that that is attracting me to Vim. What is attracting me is that it's so fun and it feels so good to work with it. It just feels so natural and organic. I understand that because uh, I... I I every time I move away from Final Cut when I trial another editing suite, I miss all of the hotkeys because I can rip through an editing by just all with the keyboard. I never take my hands off the keyboard. I cut, cut, snip, and it's so nice. So I totally understand that workflow aspect yeah. of it too. And Vim is great for that. It's funny because I used to use Vim for all my basically non-objective C stuff, right? And I've now ended up at Sublime Text, which I'm finding is a happy medium between, quote, IDE, even though it's not an IDE, mm-hmm. and pure text editor. Right. Yeah. Sublime Text yeah. is like the my 2013 software pick. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, yeah. Now, yeah. at my internship, I, was, I also have to use Xcode so now. <laughs> oh, really? So is this, is this your first time? Okay. All right. Hold on. Yeah. Hold that thought. If this is your first time using Xcode, I want to get oh. your thoughts on that. And I think this is going to be a good one for Mike to listen to. Uh, but first, I want to thank our s- final sponsor, but <clears throat> maybe our longest sponsor ever of the Code Radio program. Yes, definitely. It's GoDaddy. It is go time over at GoDaddy.com. And Code Radio is brought to you by GoDaddy. Their website builder makes it easy to create your own website. Put your business online and find new customers. Choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you are on your way. Website builder even includes a free domain, hosting, and 24-7 support. Now think about that. 24-7 support means if you're the tech member of your family, you're about to go to holiday events. 24-7 support means they can call them, not you. Remember that? Just use the promo code WSB8 when you're checking out, and you'll get Website Builder for a dollar per month. It is definitely go time. Go over to GoDaddy.com. Use WSB8, Website Builder 8, to get a website for $1 per month. It includes their awesome, brand new interface designer. They're sweet. Excellent SEO optimization, and of course, their practical mobile spinout that makes the website work on any mobile device. There are some limitations, so go over to their website. You can get more details. A dollar per month, people. I'm telling you, go take advantage of this while you can. Go own that. Trust me, this is worth it. If you don't have your own website for anything, your name, your business, your project, your app, whatever it is, you need to have something online. Otherwise, somebody else will own it. It's just a matter of time. So go over to GoDaddy.com and use the promo code WSB8. Check out. And thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right. So resume your thoughts, sir. So this is your first time using Xcode. How has it gone? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a mixed bag, basically. Sometimes it's nice, but when it doesn't behave the way I want it to, there's like no way to configure it. <laughs> so it, uh, for example, with indentation, I haven't found the settings for... Well, either you like have to turn indentation off or not indentation, but automatic indentation. But you can't like that it indents the way that you want it to. Mm. <laughs> so it's annoying. Mm. How do you mean? Well, you mean for tabs example, versus spaces? No, not tabs versus spaces. Yeah. Uh, for example, when uh, in Objective-C, when you implement or uh, define interfaces. Right. Uh, I like to indent between the end and the beginning, and it doesn't want to let no, me do that. No, yeah, it doesn't do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so when I put the semicolon, it de-indents it, and it's pissing me off. That's a funny thing. I mean, that is a great example, though, in a way. It's a minor thing, but at the same time, it really grades on you, and you wonder why they don't let you just set it the way you want. Yeah. I'm okay. considering, yeah. like, setting up Vim to use with Objective-C, but... Uh, I don't know how that's gonna work. Yet. Yeah, it's it's so Xcode used to be super unstable, and like the Xcode three days, and I tried that. It it's not worth the effort. <laughs> uh, one thing I would say is that if you're working on an Xcode project with a lot of people, you're better off just embracing the way it lays things out because almost nobody touches those settings. Yeah, I guess not out of choice, but because it, you know I used to have my custom text settings for Xcode, but it just became too much hassle to try to enforce that on people. We are like two people or so, though, so it's not right. A so lot it's a little easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I gotta. I wanted to. Let's start with Mike, and then uh, maybe uh, I, I noticed Derwiz has joined us. I'd love to get his thoughts on this too, and we'll maybe expand out to Alan as well. Uh, so uh, Sig Interrupt asked uh, on the business side of software development, I'd like to see some discussion on the different forms of freelance work, e.g., direct contracting, subcontracting through an agency, elance type gigs, etc. So I've done both myself. Uh, Mike, it seems like these days you're kind of going more direct contract work, right? Have you done the work through another company where they get you the work and you subcontract? Yeah, I do that a lot. Never done the Elance thing, though. 
Okay. Um, what are your thoughts versus direct contract work compared to going through a company that gets you the work and you're a subcontractor to them? Uh, so, well, subcontracting has a big disadvantage in that you usually can't show it in a portfolio, right? Mm. Uh, but it has the big advantage of usually the risk isn't on you for right. the project. Yeah, or you, you really don't a lot, have to sell it either. Yeah, or right, the billing. You don't have to deal, right. You don't have to deal with the client, and it's very easy to say, well, you know, it, you're kind of insulated from a lot of the the risk that every project has. But sometimes right, you'll you're end more up likely to, go, to get paid on time. Right. But you're also more likely to get paid a little less too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, the agency takes quite a cut. Uh, yeah. I've not done it for programming, but uh, we've used Guru Link uh, to to work as sysadmins for other places. Oh, so you, uh, not so, anymore. But. So you Guru Link would contact you when they had a gig. Uh, kind of, yeah. And basically, they would bill the customer a higher hourly rate than what we charge, and we would get paid what we charge. Okay. Okay. Uh, the disadvantage there is that the agreement uh, prohibits us from becoming an employee of the place we were contracting. Right. For. There's a no compete. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, not not quite no compete, but yeah, you can't, you know, work there via Guru Link and then start working there directly or consulting directly and cut Guru Link out of the loop, which mm-hmm. it makes sense to uh, for them, but you know, it, it's a complication. So, one thing I would want to ask, Alan, is have you seen any change? Although it's, maybe it's different for sysadmin, but over the last year, I've seen significant negative pressure in terms of budgets for development projects uh we don't do that anymore <laughs> We're too busy you don't even do that well yeah time. you got out okay. you got yeah, out you got out for scale engine that's fine yeah but I mean, like and before that uh, you know to get the money to start scale engine we, like when we started we were a consulting firm and we did you know whatever various clients wanted us to do right uh, like we went as far as stefan was on the, on the track to get a private investigator's license to deal with some of the type of things we were getting into <laughs> uh, like one was uh, an employee that worked at this one company and they suspected that there had been some communication with another company and some stolen stuff and then he magically left and went to work for this other company so you know after a lot of yelling back and forth they managed to get the laptop they had loaned him back uh, like his his employee laptop and right. we were given it and did a forensic analysis and managed to find uh, in the internet history um, the spell checker on Hotmail saves your <laughs> draft emails to the disk to run the ActiveX spell checker on them. Wow. This is That's back tough. in like 2007, 2008, something like that. ActiveX, everybody. Yeah. So uh, there's these temporary files, like various drafts of these emails on his hard drive that were managed to extract and prove that he negotiated with this competing, uh, competing company to actually sell trade secrets to them. Oh. And like show emails of him like setting up his utilities to go and move to Texas to work for this company while he was still working for the first company. Now, uh, I kind of, I was wondering, I want to do a little probing here. So uh, Derwiz, is your, your mic is hot, right? You're live. Are you, are you with us? Hello, Mr. Fisher, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, so um, for those of you who aren't familiar, a while ago you sponsored a couple of episodes, and you work on software yourself. You have a you 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 own your business, it's an independent software development company. You focus on the enterprise, great niche, by the way. And I'm wondering, did you ever live time as a contractor, and do you have any perspective on this whole working through an agency, working directly with a customer situation that our our uh, submitter is dealing with? Yeah, we went through, uh, we were consultants uh, long ago. Actually, I used to run all the United States supporting a piece of software and uh, we moved into straight products uh, about 10 years ago and I've never looked back. It's, it's a, for those consultants out there, good for you. <laughs> so it was just, you decided to bail. Oh, totally. Yeah, we, we completely got out of it and uh, that's how we ended up developing our own product. Actually, the, the product we were selling got uh, acquired by Microsoft and so we decided to develop our own product and the way I designed the product was that we could infinitely support it via email and online so 99% of our customers we've never actually physically met. Was That wasn't Dynamics, was it? Or No, it was a company called Zoomit. Oh, okay. uh, this was back in 99. They had a, the first meta directory product uh, back then, and Microsoft acquired it, and it was called Microsoft or Miss. Now it's Forefront Identity Management. Oh, think, sure, you know? sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, you know, Mike, uh, 
you you are kind of wearing uh, two different hats here. You've got the uh, direct software creation business where you right. sell software, and you're also doing the contract thing. If you could just wake up one day and the you know the tooth fairy was sitting at the end of your desk and says, "Mike, I'm going to grant you whatever wish you want," and she you could say contract or direct software sales, which would you pick? Uh, you know, after the last quarter, I would definitely say direct software sales. Yeah, um, I, and this might just be I'm too close to the matter right now, but I found that even subcontracting, straight contracting has become much more brutal than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the competition. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just saying, uh, like, yeah, we're talking about like all the different things. Like, if anybody's ever done anything, I've done like every across the board: the direct sales, the subcontracting, yeah. the regular contracting, um, like the Elance stuff. And it's more like none of it. It's a good option. They're all they're all horrible in many different ways. Well, yeah. it seems like at the end of the day. So there's two things. Uh, I've done I've done the work for a company, and I was the I, they subcontracted essentially, <clears throat> and I've done the direct contracting. The direct contracting for me, all it requires is the ability to sell. If you can sell, if you if if you in your peer group have convinced many people to switch to whatever you want them to switch to, or if you are passionate about something and you can sell, then you have the qualifications to do direct contracting. You will make more money, but at the end of the day, what matters more than anything else is you control that relationship, and all it all rides on you. If you work with those people, you will make that business account succeed. The problem is when you go through another company, you forfeit control to them, and they will f it up. It's just what yeah. companies do; they f it up all. The the time. And when it comes to making money, keeping a roof over your head, you should have as much direct control over that as possible. So my vote would always be go direct. Now, secondarily, if I could, I would I would sell something to the people directly. I wouldn't, I, I, if I, I, I feel like the contracting business is continuously being redefined every couple of years. It doesn't matter if it's software. It doesn't matter if it's IT. It doesn't matter if it's security. It doesn't matter if it's the guy, the guy that keeps the carpets. It all gets constantly redefined because Management changes, business goals changes, and budgets change every single year. And that means the contracts change every single year. And if you can ride that out, if you're in a position to to, to flow with that, if, if you're comfortable with that, if you're comfortable not knowing all the time, then it's for you. But otherwise, you got to reevaluate. I tried Elance uh, not a while, not not a long time ago, but and the way I would describe it is really just a race to the bottom. Yeah, I think I think uh, Skook says it best in the chat room is you you have to be prepared to constantly reinvent and reevaluate what it is you're doing. And you have to realize if you're going direct the direct contract route, which I would recommend if you're going to be a contract worker. It's hard to do and uh, initially, but, you know, go work for a company for a couple of years. Take what they do right, incorporate that into what you want to do and observe what they do wrong and fix it and then go directly to the con to the client yourself and you'll be much happier. I I was saying that there's there's definitely there's different um there's there's pros and cons to all of it but when it comes to like direct contact the control is very nice and you really don't have to worry about someone undercutting you and right. and trying to like for for the uh, sub the agencies and things like that uh I've had some subcontracting work right now that the only benefit is if they screw it up, it doesn't go back on me. Right. Well, right. And that, well, that that's the chief benefit of subcontracting, yeah. though, right? If if the project goes south, right, you're you got a shield. The the client goes after the primary company, not yep. you, because yep. they probably don't know about you. But the reality um, is, it usually goes south because somebody missed up on the communication. It's always about expectations, and yeah, yep, always, yep. And and usually, if you are in more, if you are in more direct control. You have a you have a better chance of correctly setting those expectations, which down the road will usually result in things going successfully or at least amicably. But the problem is, is there is a disconnect between the people setting the expectations and the people doing the work when you're a subcontractor, right? Well, I so one situation I found myself in um, last year in 2012 was that I was working with a company that was subcontracting a lot of work to me. And I later found out that the reason this happened was that they had laid off their entire development staff. Mm-hmm. And so Fingertip became their development department, mm-hmm. which was awesome for like three months. Right. Uh, then an invoice was late, and I let it slide for about a week. Yeah. And then it turns out the way they were so busy was that they were gambling on B 
bidding super low on all of these projects, just enough to cover their costs with us, and then not delivering. Yeah, yeah, because they just want to get their they want to get their foot in the door. They just want that contract. Right. Because what they figured is, as soon as the guy signed the SOW or the contract, they would be able to parlay that into, well, this is additional scope, so we mm-hmm. can charge more. Yep. Because they were. I would say a little too aggressive in trying to combat well, offshore. And the other problem is they are managing "quote unquote" the the, uh, right. the, the scope creep as it is, and and yeah. so like they'll be creep, and then it's just it, when it comes down to you, it's like, oh, here's what you need to do. There's like no discussion, there's no conversation, there's no what about, there's just deliver, and you're left you're left in the position to either put up or shut up. Right, and it, what what happened is, of course, uh, you know, we put up for a while, but eventually the financial situation came where it was just like, pay us or we walk away. Mm. Good for you, but, sir. Well, right. it's, it's it's not good though because it's well, no, I think it is good. You yeah. stand up, you say pay, pay up or shut up means you know you're not going to waste your time on that. Well, it's true. Well, they typically shut up though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. That's why. It's, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, that is the downside. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Mike, is there anything else we want to cover? I do have a book pick. Do you have a book pick? Do you want me to do that? It, it was a recommendation that was sent in to us. Uh, Scala book recommendations from Kyle. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? I figured, like, uh, it was time, right? We have we, we spent a couple of weeks since we've talked about Scala, so I, I, it was time. He says, hi, Mike and Chris. I'm not sure if you're able to fit this in, but the book I want to recommend is called Atomic Scala. Learn programming in a language of the future, and it's aimed at beginners. Now, Scala might be the best language for noobs, given its complexity. Might not be the best language for noobs, given its complexity, but I think this book is good for two groups of people. Number one, those who are trying to learn the basics of functional programming by using Scala, and number two, those who are moving to Scala but do not have experience programming in Java. These are many great... There there are... Many great Scala books like Programming in Scala, a comprehensive step-by-step guide out there, sure. But they are generally aimed at intermediate-level programmers with prior Java experience. The authors of Atomic Scala have broken down their sections into easy-to-learn mini-chapters with practice exercises. They call them atoms, and they're, they have avoided any mention of progr- other programming languages in the text. That is, actually, i got to say, as somebody who would be wanting it, if I was just going to walk around into Scala, I actually very much appreciate that. I think this makes the book really stand out. There is a free trial download of the first quarter of the book on the author's website and examples and solutions. The book is, is, uh, is new. It wasn't on Amazon last time I checked, but it is DRM-free in PDF, EPUB, or Mobi packages available for download on the author's website, and the print book can be ordered from there as well. Hopefully this book will uh, help more people take up Scala, which thankfully is also compatible with Mr. Dominic's beloved Java Play. Thanks for the great shows, Kyle. So it's Atomic Scala, the uh, learn programming in a language of the future. And uh, he recommends that. So there you go. Maybe if you want to have a little uh, a little uh, little fun over the holidays, that might be a solution. Right, Mr. Dominic? Gotta love that Java play, man. <laughs> All right, so is there anything else we want to cover on this week's episode of the Coda Radio program? I think we're good. Uh, let's Yeah, let's have that person email in that UI stuff to us, and we'll go over it, maybe cover it the following week. Very good, sir. All right, everyone. Well, we'd love to have you join us live. Head over to jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Also, contact the show. We want to get your feedback. That kind of is what we do at the beginning of every single show. It's important to us. Head over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop that contact link and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send folks throughout the dominicm.com? How? The powerhouse of knowledge over at dominicm.com. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chrislas, and head over to the show notes. We have stuff we've talked about linked over there as well as links to our other social profiles. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.